praise Yahweh, what a Savior, huh? Are you glad today that we have that incredible Savior? Uh, our focus is going to be on Him today. And uh, things that He did that um, He would have us to follow and do as well. So I'm excited because uh, focus on Jesus is going to be right where we're at this morning. Uh, over the course of this school year, I'm going to be preaching for you six different times. And you remember perhaps that we were talking about, whoops, they already had the first one up there, these bold moves uh, that Jesus made. I'm going to scoot over here so I can see this as well. But that we also would make as disciple makers ourselves, he's called us to that, then what does that look like for us? Back on September 7th, if you can believe it was that long ago, I gave you bold move number one, be willing to offend the hometown crowd. Some of you might remember uh, where Jesus was at when he offended the hometown crowd. Some of you have also been asking me for pictures from Israel recently. So um, here's one of them. This is in the synagogue representation um, that's at Nazareth. Nazareth is where Jesus was in the synagogue when he preached from Isaiah 61. And following the text, uh, took sort of the proverbial rock and threw it into the hornet's nest, right? And uh, this is just outside of town. Did I do that? There we go. I thought that was really weird. I pushed that button and the lights dimmed. This is the precipice at Nazareth over which uh, the town is built. And when it says that they took Jesus to throw him off of it, you can go and you can stand up on that precipice and look down and, and think what it would feel like to get tossed. Today we consider bold move number two. Invest in a few who will multiply. I hope you're going to see why that's a bold move, because it flies in the face of so much worldly wisdom to invest in a few. Imagine with me for a moment that you are the eternal Son of God. Can you just put yourself in Jesus' brain for a moment? Yes, that's on purpose. Having humbled yourself, you take on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. You've taken on the limitations and the finiteness of a human body. For this time on planet Earth, you are no longer able to like toss galaxies around. You're confined to, you know, tossing pebbles across a little ditch. And if you can picture yourself taking on that kind of limitation as the Son of God, your mission, should you choose to accept it, <laughs> he did, praise God, is to provide for the reconciliation of the world to God through the perfect sacrifice of yourself. And you will accomplish the spread of this worldwide mission of reconciliation by implanting yourself in the lives of a few frail, fumbling, fault-filled human beings who will be your agents to reach the rest. How does that work out for you? Let's fast forward from touchdown on planet Earth. You were born in Bethlehem, and now you're about to 
touch off from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, just a couple of miles away. The game plan that you followed, how's it working out? What are its results? Think about your strategy. What I'm going to do in the next few minutes is going to um, do a flyover of the Gospels so fast that you won't believe how... This is like an airplane going over, all right? Here we go. Strategy number one, uh, renounce and reject human wisdom. I'm going to read for you quite a bit of scripture, and it's going to come fast, and so I'm not going to have you turn. I want you to turn your ears on and your hearts open. Here we go. Snapshot number one, ever after rejecting human wisdom, I say is born into peasantry and poverty. He didn't come as the king born in the palace but to humble people as a humble servant. Snapshot again. You had a chance to deal with the devil and win the world, but you walked away. Here's Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. It says, So the devil took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You had a chance to deal with the devil, but you walked away. Snapshot. After you fed the crowd of 5,000 by multiplying the loaves and the fish, they were ready to follow you. You had a chance for the political power grab, but you spurned it. John 6, 15, so Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to a mountainside by himself alone. Snapshot, you could have ridden the wave of popularity, but you jumped off. After the feeding of the 5,000, you gave a hard teaching. Here's John 6, 32 to 66, some selected verses for you so I can fly over this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? 
From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Snapshot. You had many chances to wow with wonders, but you refused. Just one verse I'll read for you, Matthew 12, 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Multiple times they pandered after the signs and Jesus said, no, we're not going to do that. So strategy number one was to renounce and reject human wisdom. Strategy number two, preach the kingdom and the king. Snapshot. You preached all over Galilee. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's Matthew uh, 4, 23 to 25 says he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. The people brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Now, though large crowds followed you, it wasn't your strategy to reach the world through large crowds. In the grand scheme of things, the crowds that you reached were pretty insignificant. If mass communication had been Jesus' strategy, he came about 2,000 years too early. Rather, I believe Jesus was modeling for us, for his followers, what it would look like for them to spread the good news. To go everywhere preaching this gospel of the kingdom. Another snapshot, you commissioned the 12 to preach. This is Mark 3.14. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions, Matthew 10, 5. As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. And he goes on. So strategy number one, renounce and reject human wisdom. Number two, preach the kingdom and the king. Strategy three, invest in a few who would multiply. Snapshot, you invited a few individuals to, quote-unquote, come and see. This is John chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. And you know that that just kicked off more and more time that they spent with him right after that. Another snapshot, you challenged your few to a change in life focus. Matthew chapter 4, 18 to 22. 
I took this picture just a week and a half ago or whatever it was, standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and I just want you to picture yourself there. It says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for these, they were fishermen. By the way, these are two of the same brothers who were there and originally followed Jesus. I just read about in John. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Boy, we could say a lot about that. Another snapshot. You trained the twelve and invested them with special authority and responsibility. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15 says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to himself those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Another snapshot, you trained these twelve to multiply. I could take you to passage after passage. I'm just going to give you one. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Another snapshot. You commissioned your disciples with a self-perpetuating command to make disciples. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, you know this, all authority, heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There, you've been imagining yourself as Jesus from the touchdown in Bethlehem to the touch off on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, you renounced and rejected human wisdom. You preached the kingdom and the king, yourself. You invested in a few who would multiply, but let me ask you, will the game plan carry the day? Can you step back into heaven with confidence of success on earth? Yes, Jesus did. This result was not in doubt. Why? Why not? A couple of reasons. Number one, Jesus promised to build his church. He's still keeping that promise. Number two, you are not leaving your followers alone. John chapter 14, 16 to 19 Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, 
for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. All right, I've been trying to have you kind of think through the eyes of Jesus. You can stop that now and be yourself. I want to think through your eyes for a little bit now. I want to ask you, students of Montana Bible College, how do you respond to this flyover of the life and ministry of Jesus? Super fast look at what he did, but gives you the broad parameters. How do you respond to that? We said back before that bold move number one was to be willing to offend the hometown crowd. And today, bold move number two, I'm challenging you to invest in a few who will multiply. The music is back. It's not up to you to come up with a strategy. You simply need to join Jesus in the strategy he's already given. His command is to make disciples. People spend a lot of time fretting over trying to figure out and discover the will of God for their lives. I'm telling you right now, you can take this one to the bank. This is Jesus' command. It's so clear. This is his will for your life. Make disciples who will multiply. But can it work? Can we really reach the world with the gospel? I want to answer with an illustration. Um, Matt, come up here and help me, please. Some little pieces of rope here. Matt, do you know how to tie a marriage knot? A marriage knot. All right, perfect, because that's what I'm going to do is teach you right now. So you need a couple of those, and I do too. I need somebody who has a stopwatch. Somebody? I need you to time me. Esther, you got it? You ready? I'm going to teach Matt to make a marriage knot, and I want you to time me. Tell me when I go. Okay, I'm just going to demonstrate for you first, okay? So we're just going to cross these two pieces, and we're going to go around and just make a simple little um, loop around each one, so forth, like that. When we're done, then the two just slide together like that, and we've got a marriage knot. The tighter we pull the tighter they get. Have a loop around each one. Yep. So we're going to start there. So I think I'm you're going to want a little bit longer tail because you're going to be stuck there. Okay. There you go. You can slide it right through. Pretty close. Yep. Pull it back through your, make your loop and pull it back through. Ah, double loop. Is that it? Nope. It's all right. Let's start again. Okay, let's do it. This is, this is the teaching process here. I'm not the best teacher of ropes and all that stuff. So we just have our two. All we're doing is just making one of these, right? But we're, we're doing it with the other piece inside it, like that. Okay. First one. So you got the first one there. And now you're just going to do the other one around the other side. So I got that one. There you I go. This one. And I'm going to go here. Yep. I'm going to go in here. Yep. And back through your hole there, so you've got and your back loop. back through up like this. There you go. Yeah. Okay. He, he's done the first time, and his because he made his one loop slightly backwards, 
didn't slide together quite as sweet as mine. But he got it. He got it. And it'll hold. All right. We're getting there. How are we doing on time, Esther? Okay. Should I do it again? Let's do it one more time. Okay. We want to learn this because the, the point would be that Matt would actually learn to reproduce this. So, so start here again. Let's watch. Yeah, we've got to get it all apart now. Those ends that I burned in there. Okay. All right. So let's get around that guy. Does it matter which one's on top or underneath? Nope. Okay. Go around here. We're just going to tie a knot. Perfect. Now just right back through. You got it. Just right back, right back through, through your loop. Yep. That's not going to do anything. Got to go under. Okay. There you go. So I got one yep. knot. Perfect. Now I got this piece. Need around it? Around itself, like this. Mm, around your tail over here. Oh, around the tail yep, of the yep, other yep. piece, and then back, just back through. And then I just tie it. Right, right through here again. Uh, make your loop through there. You got it. And then I come back. Yeah. It's like a, like an, okay. Little, two little pretzels. Okay. How and then he pulls together. He's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Thanks, Matt. You're welcome. Now, what are we at? Okay, three minutes. Um, I'm using this as a point to, to teach you to think about multiplication. Now, let's suppose that we want to um, teach the world to tie a marriage knot. Okay? Um, let's use three minutes. Can we multiply that out. What, what would it take to teach the world? If, if Ryan Ward began going from Matt to David to Wes and on and on and on, three minutes apiece, right? I can teach the marriage knot in three minutes. For 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, how long is it going to take me to teach the world's population the marriage knot. Anybody want to take a guess? It, it would take a long time. Um, about 41,096 years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to live that long. Um, but what if we multiply? What if we multiply? In, in three minutes, I can teach another person. So this is my second generation. And the total makes two of us that know how to do the marriage knot. But now, if we have the two of us go out and, and do this together and train somebody else, we're up to six minutes, our third generation, and now we have four of us that know how to do it. And if four of us go out and we, in another three minutes, teach four others, now we have eight. And if eight of us go out and in three minutes teach eight others, now we have 16. And and you know how the math starts to go. You know this is an exponential curve. And you know that if I go out just a little bit more, we want to get the world's population of over 7 billion. We hit just over 8 billion in 99 minutes. That's a little bit better than 41,000 years. Eh, Canadians? I want you to think with me for a minute about Billy Graham. Billy Graham is 99 years old this year. 60 plus years 
of preaching the gospel. Just read recently a really neat article in Christianity Today about Billy Graham. And um, in Billy Graham's lifetime, he preached in person, get this, to more than 80 million people. Hmm? You know Billy Graham's, he's presenting the gospel. In those public events, 80 million people, more than 3 million people responded to this public invitation he gave to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Okay? Think about that for a minute. We want to reach the world's population with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many people would say, you know what we need? We need some more Billy Grahams out there. Go with this with me for a minute. Now, just suppose that we're going to enlist 100 more Billy Grahams. And in the next 60 years, those 100 will each reach 80 million people in person preaching the gospel to them. Those are some productive people, aren't they? And each of them will see 3 million come to faith in Christ. Let's do the math. 100 people, 3 million converts each gives us 300 million Christians. That pretty good? Would you like to see 300 million Christians in the next 60 years? That seems pretty good until you realize that that's only 4% of the world's population. How are we going to reach the world with the gospel? Now, I'm just, for the sake of illustration, assuming that none of Billy Graham's converts multiplied, which I know is not true because I personally know some of them who came to faith in Christ through his ministry and have multiplied. I'm just using this for the sake of illustration, not to pick on Billy Graham, okay? You got it? All right. But what happens if we were to multiply? Let's take some unnamed, unfamous Montana Bible College students and let's go make disciples, folks. What might happen? Let's, let's say now that we need a couple of years, not just minutes, okay? We need, let's say we need three years in order to see a person grow enough in faith in Christ that they could multiply to another, okay? And each person teaches one other person. And I'm going to give us a head start and say, let's give us a thousand people. Are there a thousand people that we could come up with in our region who could be disciple makers? Yeah, there are. Praise God that there are. So if that happens, here's the way the math starts to do. We have 2,000 people after just three years. And we have 4,000 people after six years, after nine years, and, and so forth. And if we go just a little bit further, we want to reach the world's population. We need to get to 69 years on the 24th generation. We've reached the world's population with the gospel. If they multiply. They have to be multipliers. This is not a game of addition. What if we change up the stats a little bit? What if we say, okay, we need five years. Ryan, three years is too fast. We can't do it that fast. You know, Jesus did, but you know, we're not Jesus. Don't give me that. Come on. We have, but let's say now that each of us works with two. Okay, Jesus had 12. Let's start with two. 
Can we do that? What if each of us were investing our life to multiply through another person to two people over the next five years? We start with our thousand people, and you know what? In just 75 years, we have reached the entire world's population. We can hit 14 billion on generation 16. Let's go a little further. What if we do the same thing, five years per generation, but each of us takes three instead of two? We've cut it from 75 down to 60 years. What if we actually started with 100,000 people? Are there 100,000 disciple makers in the world right now? I believe there are. 45 years, 10 generations, we hit 26 billion people. I hope you find hope right now rekindled in your heart for this mission of the gospel. Maybe you think of yourself as a small person, a person of little influence in the world. You're not blogging with a huge following. You're not writing books that are selling millions of copies. Your last name isn't Graham and you're not filling stadiums when you go to preach someplace. Maybe you're part of a small community, a smaller church, and you say, what can we do? What difference could we make? Maybe you're part of a small Bible college. What difference could we make? Maybe you're just a boy or a girl with five barley loaves and two fish. And you'd want to put them in the hands of the master. What I want you to hear is that if you multiply disciples who multiply, then a movement can begin from anywhere. If we make disciples who multiply, then a movement can begin from here. You're not part of something insignificant and small when you attach your life to something as great and powerful as the Lord Jesus Christ, the ruler of the universe. Jesus entrusted his great commission to 11 disciples who would multiply. And you know that they were failing in many times. They had many faults, just like you and me. And he made a promise to them that he would never leave them. And it's a promise that he's still keeping. And he made a promise to give them his spirit. And it's a promise that he's still keeping. And he made a promise to empower them. And a promise to build his church. These are promises he's still keeping. Brothers and sisters, I'm asking you today to determine in your heart if you've never done so before and to renew in your heart, if you need to renew it, a commitment to be a disciple maker, to make disciples who will multiply.
It doesn't take great technology. It doesn't take millions of dollars. It doesn't take a mega ministry in a mega town. Jesus' strategy is to multiply disciples who will multiply. Get on board. Let's go together. I want to pray for you right now. Our Father, it would be our desire to be those followers of yours who you find faithful to do the work that you've called us to do. The mission is clear. The Lord Jesus gave the mission to us in explicit, clear terms. And he showed us what it looks like. Your will is not a mystery. And you have promised everything that we need to accomplish this mission. Lord, we're not naive enough, even though we're sure small and finite, but we're not naive enough to think that sin doesn't get in the way and there aren't distractions and that there won't be obstacles and hurdles. But we are people who believe you who trust that you will empower us to do the work you've called us to do. Lord, would you take Montana Bible College, those of us right now sitting in this room, and would you make us into those fishers of men, the disciples who will multiply other disciples, and cause that to become the driving passion and purpose of our lives that no matter where we go and no matter what we're involved with, it will be our purpose and our passion to invest our lives into the lives of others that they may know you and grow and become those who will multiply. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen.